Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Show podcast. It is so great to be with you today. I'm Fujian Zhang. I'm a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the awareness integration theory. Our conversation here is about what matters most in our life, our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. A couple of announcements first. For all psychotherapists, mental health practitioners, and life coaches, the Essentials of Awareness Integration Theory course is coming up. June 24th to 26th is going to be online. The early bird special is coming up on June 10th. So sign up real quick. The space is very limited. Love to have you all there to share with you the theory and inter intervention. You can go to awarenessintegration.com and get all the information and how to sign up. And um, love to have you there. Today, I chat with Michelle Neff Hernandez. She is the author of Different After You. Um, it's a great book. It's an amazing book. I highly recommend it. Um, she is the 2021 CNN hero. She's a gifted speaker and a committed advocate for the widowed and the bereaved. Um, her creation of Camp Widow and Soaring Spirits has brought her international acclaim. Michelle regularly speaks to first responders, hospital workers, religious congregations, and diverse community organizations. Um, she lives in Southern California. You can catch her at michellenapphernandez.com. And uh, we had an amazing conversation about the process of the grief, what someone will go through, and how can they, um, they honor their grief, who they have been, and move on. Uh, to creating an amazing life. So I'm sure that you will also experience it and enjoy it as much as I did. Subscribe to this podcast, my YouTube channel, Dr. Fujian Zane, and connect with me through my website, fujianzane.com, or any of the social media that you have. I love to hear from you about your ideas, who you want me to talk to, what topics you want me to talk about, all in all. But here it is. Let's talk to Michelle. Michelle, it is so nice to have you with us on this podcast. Um, thank you so much for coming in and spending the time with us. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for the invitation. We're going to talk about your book, Different After You. Um, it's beautiful the way that it's written. First of all, it's uh, not only uh, your own experience, but then also matches so many of the experience of people who have uh, lost their mate or someone who's so important in their life uh, that kind of you know, they identified with and they were um, a part of everyday life. And um, you share about um, the culture that it's almost like some cultures expect you to grieve really quick. You know, you've got about three days. <laughs> That's right. You be laughing and moving on and be very comfortable with going back to work and 
um, all of that. And then we have cultures who spend the year in, in the grief and the whole family systems and you know the whole city and the town are uh, holding them in the grief. And sometimes even when they're ready to move on, they're thinking, I can't move on because in the, you know, in the eye of the society, I have to hold a particular way of being. And I think you touch upon all of these so beautifully. Uh, Michelle, can you fair share about why you wanted to write this book? Well, when I was 35, my 39-year-old husband went out for his regular more, uh, afternoon bike ride and was hit and killed by a car, um, thrusting me sort of into a completely new life that I didn't have any experience with. And I actually didn't have anybody in my life who had any experience with. And so it was my first experience of grieving anyone close to me, but certainly um, as close as a spouse. And so I suddenly was in a whole new world. And the initial thought was, how do I find people who understand what this is like? Because as well supported as I was by my community and my friends group and my family, none of them were widowed. And so, you know, for things like how long do you keep the wedding ring on or how, where do you put all his clothes? Nobody had any information. And so I just thought I need to find other widowed people to ask these questions, um, which of course led to the reality that there's a million different ways to answer those questions. But at the time, um, I just, it felt important to ask them. And so that initial process of questioning and wondering how other people have made their way through widowed life led me to not only eventually write this book, which is very different than the one I intended to write in the beginning, but also to create the community around the widowed experience, which is sort of a foundational part of the book as well. You share in the book at one point that um, you felt a lesser version of ourselves at that moment, uh, that you know you're you have the ability to function, but then you go especially into a zone, which it feels like non-functionality. I remember yeah. talking to a lot of my clients who have lost their mate and some to shock and some to uh, like shock of accident, the same mm -hmm. way that you were talking about and some to illnesses. But it, it's interesting that when it was, obviously there's a different experience when you go through illnesses and you're hoping and you're holding on the torch of no at any minute, it's all gonna be okay. <clears throat> and somehow you don't want to believe that. And even in the hospitals, people just don't wanna believe. And still after um, you know, the, the, the mate is, uh, has passed on, that sometimes the shock comes and the grief takes a whole different level uh, versus someone who gets shocked because the, the there's not even an idea about it uh, that I'm going to lose my mate. As life goes on as, as daily, you know, and then the shock comes in. Mm -hmm. um, it, so partly about your own experience, but partly with all of the years that you've worked with other people, can you share a little bit about the differences of these two when you um, feel like you said a less, lesser version of you? The interesting thing I think is that there is this sense of a lesser version, however it is you came to the place, whether of, of your person being dead, whether that's a shocking experience, a traumatic loss um, in regards to an accident or some other type of um, experience, heart related, 
or to, like you said, um, sort of an expected death. The interesting thing for me, and in particular, part of the thing about Different After You is that it's almost like no matter how we came to land on the square that said, now you have to start rebuilding your life, all of us landed there. And so for everyone, and this is really true for anyone who's grieving, but in particular for people who are grieving a spouse or partner, you land on the square and everybody is kind of on step one. What do I do with myself now? How do I build a life of meaning for this version of myself? Because I've been changed by whatever it was I experienced. So to compare and contrast the experience of a sudden death to a more expected death, you know, for a sudden person, I was cooking dinner at five o'clock and I was widowed at 630. And for a person who has been a caregiver for years or who has been involved in the ongoing perhaps it's research, perhaps it's, you know, trials. I mean, all, like you said, the hope of maybe we're going to make our way through this, those two different avenues to arrive on that same square are going to influence how you process the next steps, but we all have to find a way to discover what's going to be next for ourselves because we all have come to a place where a key pivotal person in our life is dead and we have to figure out who we are in the aftermath. And that includes the things that have influenced us through their death. So in the case of a caregiver, a lot of times people in a caregiving situation struggle with, well, what's my purpose now? I have really focused on this one thing and now the thing is completely useless. None of this research I did worked, you know, all of the medical equipment around our house is no longer necessary. So that's one piece. And then for a sudden widowed person, you know, it's the shock of like still waking up every day, trying to figure out what happened. How did that thing happen? And so in some ways it is very different in other ways it's similar. Um, and also true for people who have experienced a different type of traumatic experience, if it's a different relationship to the person who died, or sometimes it's our own traumatic illness or our own job loss or a divorce, like, one of whatever it is that we have lived through that's changed the way we look at the world has changed us intrinsically. And we have to discover who we are after that, after we make our way, even begin to make our way into the processing of that experience. I was talking to um, a woman who <clears throat> they were driving, <clears throat> they parked and uh, she got out of the car and then uh, her husband was driving, got out of the car on his side and then uh, a car hit him <clears throat> and died immediately the shock that was there it was very interesting that for a while um she would look at her husband's picture and not even know him mm. and she got scared uh, did i lose him completely how mm -hmm. come i don't know him how come i don't miss him i don't even know what you know where i am versus like the life i have and it took almost six months before that shock and effect actually mm -hmm. in knowing who she is and you know who her husband was for her so it's interesting what our brain does yeah the time of, you know shock or at the time of loss um, you had in your book talked about, and I love this um, analogy that you talked about, like the family, the broken family vase, when, mm -hmm. when it's, you know, when it's uh, dropped and it's broken, that everybody's shocked around us and looking at it. And then each person starts taking some parts of it and then tries to see then, you know, um, how can we put this back together? And 
um, is it ever going to be the same base or mm -hmm. obviously not how it, you know, how can I put it back together where um, it does hold the family culture and it's useful and it's moving forward. Can you share a little bit about that? I think that the, this analogy is important because we can all imagine a shattered base and the sense of like, there's no way this is going to be the same. And it's an accepted understanding that that base can't be the same. But when our lives are shattered, we do come to it with this idea that somehow our lives will be the same again. When the truth is they cannot be, they can't be exactly the same. Just like when you try to glue that base back together, it isn't going to be the same base. It can't be. And even if all the pieces broke, let's say you had six perfectly broken pieces and they could all fit right back together, there's still going to be the cracks and the lines where you have to put the glue in, whatever it is that you use to pull that base back together. And the reason I think it's a useful analogy when we consider it for a life is that so often we set ourselves up for failure by saying something horrible has happened to me and I'm not going to let it change me. I'm not going to be changed by what's happened. And we set the goal for success, a successful processing to feel like we always, just like we did before, but we can't, it's impossible. Just like the vase is impossible to be exactly the same because there's so many things that we now know that we've now, now experienced. So, you know, for me as a personal example, now, when I hear an ambulance, I never don't assume that it could be coming for somebody I love because on the day when my husband died, I heard the ambulance. I didn't know it was going for him. I just heard an ambulance like you would in the background of any given day. And so for me, that's a new understanding. And that's always going to change the way I look at the world. It doesn't mean that I'm, and, and to come back to a question you asked earlier about feeling less than. I think because we set ourselves up with this, this sense of like, I'm not going to be changed. And if I am changed, then that means I'm not as good as I was before. I think that if we can reframe that to say the vase is broken, it's been put back together. And rather than have the goal, it being exactly the same, it being as beautiful as it can be in a new space. And if we can apply that to our lives, then that allows us to, to come away instead of thinking I'm not as good as I was before, I'm a lesser version. Instead, it can be, I'm a new version and I'm getting to know that new self and I'm learning how what I've lived through has influenced who I am today. Yes. You share about two sets of grieving, which I think is so important. This one set of grieving is, um, about the future that's no longer going to be the same as I ever imagined it to be, but also the grieving for who I used to be, mm -hmm. missing, missing my life, missing mm -hmm. the way that I was before, or everything that, you know, kind of like was a routine and then maybe even I took it for granted because it was there. <laughs> and, um, you know, some of it worked and some of it didn't work, but uh, I miss it. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes those are the times we keep going back and, you know, rehashing what it was and asking and bargaining kind of um, even sometimes being punitive. And I wish I did that. And I wish I did this one. And why didn't I do that? And if I could do that. And I think that's part of uh, the process of grieving when we put ourselves through that. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think it's so worthwhile for us to talk about the fact that we are not only grieving the person who died, but the person we were with that person, because sometimes we confuse the two. 
And when, then when we're struggling to find a new self, you know, we think there's something wrong with us. But the truth is that, you know, for, for me, one of the things I miss is that I used to always believe everything was going to work out. I, I did. I just was one of those people. I always believed it. And now I know that's not true. It doesn't always work out how we want it to work out, or it doesn't always work out. You know, the diagnosis sometimes does end in death instead of someone beating the odds. Um, but it's okay to miss that version of myself that didn't know. I just didn't know yet. And so, you know, it was a naive kind of beautiful place to be when I used to believe that. And so it's okay to miss that. It's okay to miss the person who doesn't know what it's like to grieve someone. It's okay to miss, you know, not forgetting where you put your keys. It's okay to miss, you know, any of the things about yourself that used to be things that you knew and counted on. What I hope people will get from the book is the opportunity to continue to learn and get to know the new person you're becoming, allowing them to be different so that we can value this person equally. It's not going to be the same. It can't be the same, but it can be equally valuable. Very much. Um, you begin the conversation of um, shifting gear from um you know, part of the grieving that is the loss and the missing into a rebuilding uh, with the concept of creating an inventory of what no longer works or no longer fits in the present moment where it was very valuable with the old you or with the old circumstances in life. Um, how do you suggest for people to begin looking at that inventory? I always like to tell people to start with their physical space. Start with the easiest, closest thing to you. Look on your desk and say, do I still like that thing? <laughs> if, it, if I don't, if it doesn't mean the same thing it used to mean to me, it's okay to move it. Because what happens is, especially in grief, after a person dies, it's like we have to freeze everything just how it is sometimes and say, okay, this is my, this is the way that I honor my person. I'm not changing anything for other people though. They feel like I have to change everything. And so my, my, in my hope for people is that they will just start asking themselves questions. I think, you know, where do I usually go for lunch? Was that a place we used to go to? Did I like it? And sometimes the answer is, well, I'm only going because, you know, he loved Mexican food. I actually don't really like it that much, but I don't feel like it's something I can change because then would I be giving up on him or would I not be honoring him? Um, and so I just want people to start asking the questions about their physical space, about their daily habits, about their jobs, about the people they spend time with. And, and the intention here is not to change everything necessarily. It's to ask yourself, does this fit for me? in this new life? And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the answer is surprisingly no. And sometimes we find a surprising new thing because we're willing to ask the questions, what do I like? And I think that's, that's the crux of it is the willingness to just let the question sit there. You don't have to have an answer right now. You can just say to yourself, what is it that I want? And let it sit. Because a lot of times we're so focused on trying to get to the answer and make sure that we are able to answer the question, do I like that food or not? That we go to the, the old answer, the default answer. Well, yes, I always do. So if we can just sit with the questions, I feel like that's the first space. And taking inventory, the intention there is to be able to give ourselves the chance 
to explore what this new person might like and might want. And I think the inventory, as you uh, set it up, it works a lot to look at. Is there a way that I can honor my mate and have my mate in some particular way still with me as I move mm -hmm. forward without having to freeze life? Yeah. You know, freeze the yeah. house exactly the way mm -hmm. it was, or, you know, some of the behaviors that we I used to do and do it as if that person is alive. Because I know, although in some level necessary for our grief, and as we go and, you know, to bring ourselves from one process to the next to the next, um, sometimes I've watched people for like 10 years live as if the person is still living with us. Mm -hmm. Get up and have the same kind of conversation and go back and forth and rehearse uh, the conversation that they had with their husband or their wife and, you know, the answer from what they remembered and have, you know, create these dialogue. Um, and then the house is exactly the same way. And they don't move from that, that time mm -hmm. on as if life um, is being frozen Mm -hmm. in, in their own imaginative space and they no longer live in life as reality of out there with other people and all of it. Um, my experience as a therapist has been to work with them to complete that and somehow take whatever representation it is that they want with them, but still be in, in the moment and the present moment of what reality mm -hmm. looks like in life and, and, you know, with people around them. What have you experienced and with all of the thousands and thousands of uh, people who you have uh, explored this process? The interesting thing for me, I think, is um, when people are freezing themselves in a space, oftentimes they're confusing love with pain and grief and so a lot of times we do that because we want to make sure that we're honoring our person we want to make sure that we continue a connection with them which is vitally important to our healing but that healing connection can still be vibrant it can still be current so instead of having to freeze it as it was when they were alive we can continue to develop it as we figure out how do i include this person in my life as i move forward is that through letters is that through pictures is that through honoring them in events or going to maybe maybe you do go on the anniversary of their death to a restaurant you love and continue to honor your person and yet recognize that you yourself are living a very different life and being able to then start to engage with it. I'll say that many people, people have very different reactions to this and can take a longer or shorter time for them, depending on uh, so many different factors. But I, I'm thinking of what you said at the top of our, our conversation, which is sometimes other people around us seem to hold us in our grief because of societal expectations. And so it's sort of the reverse of that, right? It's like for some time, for some people, they feel frozen in this space, like they can't get out. And only thing people can see is a widowed person when they look at them. For other people, they want to make sure nobody sees anything but a widowed person. And the reason they do that is because they think that that's the best way to honor their person. I like to encourage people to remember that two separate things have happened here your person has died and the version of you that lived with them has died too. And so because of those two separate things, one reality is this person's never gonna walk through your door again. The next reality is 
you can't be the same as you were. And your choice now is how to evolve. And if you evolve, because when we don't, there are gifts that come from this experience. And so often they're unwanted, right? We don't want to have gifts that come to us in a horrible package that was traumatic and awful, but not accepting the gift on the other side doesn't change the reality that your person died. And so, so many times, so, so separating those things in the same way as you separate the person died and the version of you that was with them died, there is a bad thing that happened that was traumatic and difficult. And in addition, there were gifts that came with it. You can accept one and choose not to accept the other. It's optional whether or not you allow those gifts into your life, but doing so isn't going to change the bad thing. The bad thing still exists, whether or not you choose to allow the gifts that can come with it to be a part of your current life. Um, you talk also about prioritization at this conjuncture of life to mm -hmm. uh, what is a priority and how can I bring myself um, to create a life? Yeah. Right. So it's um, because for many people, it seems like life just ended, not only for my mate, but also for me. Mm -hmm. And recreation of it is as a single person, um, sometimes it's so terrifying for them. Mm -hmm. They have no idea what that looks like. Right. And then when they look at it and it's like, I don't want it. It's really mm -hmm. interesting. It's like, I know I can do that. I just don't want it. Um, and then when you're standing in that doorway and uh, instead of walking out, you keep turning back and going back into a fantasy of what is, um, I think that's part of the dilemma. And um, so share about prioritization and how to open this door and look at the other side with the gifts. Well, and first I want to also acknowledge that there is a benefit to looking backwards at those doors and to turning your face towards, and it's why the book starts with a step acknowledging. It's like, okay, the first thing I have to do is acknowledge that I am not the same person. And then I get to move into the grief stage, which is now I'm grieving not only the person who died, but also the self that died. And sometimes we need some space there to be able to do that for a little while. But when, when we can use that powerful key of acknowledgement, then when it's time to start asking the questions, taking inventory and beginning to start to shape something for yourself, then you're able to lean into what comes next, which will include the gifts. And I think one of the key gifts that my grief experience has given me is the real world perspective that people dying means that we have a limited amount of time on this earth. And that has changed the way I choose to use my time. And so while I wouldn't have thought that this would be a gift that I got, nor would I have signed up for it in this way, if I had a choice, I didn't have a choice, but it is a gift that has come. And as a result of that, I think differently about the way I personally walk in the world. I think that this is a key gift that most grieving people have access to, if only they will allow it into their lives. And if they do, it will start to shape how they answer those questions. What do I want? What do I care about? Who do I want in my life? What kind of relationships are valuable to me? And so that helps us to begin to use that perspective to ask the questions, which then help to build the life for the person that we're becoming. We can't do any of that unless we give ourselves permission. And there's no other permission that we need. Even in the case where society wants to hold you in a space, 
we can still make those personal choices to start deciding how we want to show up for our life. And no one can make that choice but us. And I think that's the hard work of grief. That's the hard work of grief recovery is that no one can do the work but you. And sometimes, as you said, we don't want to. I don't want to do the work. I'm not interested in doing the work. And that to me often signals that there's a time still that's necessary for the grieving and that there's still work to be done there. And if you find yourself stuck in that space, getting help to have some additional perspective to help you move through the grief space so that as you enter the discovery phase and the inventory phase, you can feel ready to create something for yourself because that's that's the pivotal piece is being giving yourself permission to have a different life. Um, you also shared about, uh, which I think is brilliant, about the f- filtering what comes in in the name of love and support from others. Um, part of what we were talking about at the beginning was uh, when a community around you, uh, whether they're family or friends or the culture of that city or you know group that you live in uh, holds a particular stance for you or you get you hear mixed messages from people where mm-hmm. somebody comes in and says you've grieved enough let's move on I'm going to come in and help you unpack everything I mean pack everything that is here and move on and you know why don't you start dating and all of that and another one comes in and consistently talks about your mate and their uh, the past experiences they had with you and your mate and insist that that you have to hold yourself in that space so you might get very confusing uh, messages from the world around you and I've also watched people have to answer for example if there was an issue um, you know other people come in because they're having an anxiety about their own loss and they'll come in and say well how come you didn't do that and did you do this and did you talk to the doctor did you check this and it's almost like you're getting interrogated for why didn't you keep your mm-hmm. you know your mate alive mm-hmm. and it puts a lot of burden on um on you that you're going through the grief so the filtering and and kind of even stating to some people like i don't want to hear it at this point or this is not something that i want to concentrate on or setting boundaries for people in a way it is, um, it's so important in this uh, time of grief. It really is. And I think the thing is, no matter what trauma you've lived through, if you're grieving or if you've experienced some kind of other traumatic experience, oftentimes we find ourselves feeling unable to deal with the emotional aftermath. And so what we do is we open our borders really wide and we say, everybody come in. I need help. I need help figuring out what kind of fence to get when my fence fell down. I need help, you know, making sure the kids can get to and from. I need help. And then after a while, all that help starts multiplying into, as you said, people who have differing opinions, conflicting opinions, sometimes, you know, well-intentioned, but awful things are said to people as they're trying to put their lives back together. So my personal experience was that I first opened the doors and said, everybody come in. And then I was overwhelmed by the amount of feedback that I was getting. And so I said, forget it, nobody in. And so I shut the doors instead. And then it's just myself. But in the case of a death of a spouse or partner, your sounding board 
is no longer available. And so I realized that I was making my life harder than it needed to be by shutting everyone out. And I needed to figure out who were the important people who could support me and whose advice I valued and who I did not doubt had my best interests at heart. And I sort of devised a structure to say, okay, these kind of people, which I call the fish feeders, they're people who are doing things for you in your daily, they're the people you call. If I need something, this is my person. So if that person says to me, I was thinking about your problem and here's a solution I came up with, I may not choose to go with that solution, but it's my job to consider what they have to say. They know me, they love me, they're supporting me in other ways. At least consider what they say. Doesn't mean that's what I'll choose, but it's something to consider. Um, and so I go through sort of a step-by-step process for identifying all the people in your life. And I like to tell people, I include all the way to the person who was in the grocery store and told me, had met me one time, saw me in the grocery store after I was grieving my husband's death and said, you know, honey, if you don't wipe that sad look off your face, no one's ever going to want to have anything to do with you. And so it was like, this lady doesn't know me at all. Why in the world would she say that to me? And so People have asked me, but why would you include that kind of person in the filtering process? Because do you want to know how much time I spent thinking about what that lady said? Way, way too much because it was hurtful, because it felt like it came out of left field. And I thought, I thought, you know, she sees something I don't see. And so rather than spend time thinking about, you know, my sister who had said something thoughtful and useful, I didn't spend any time thinking about that. I was too worried about the lady who told me I needed to wipe the sad look off my face. And so I like to highlight that. So people remember that when this is true for all humans, but in my experience, it's particularly true for anyone who's grieving or going through a trauma. Everybody knows how to fix it. Everybody wants to tell you what to do. Everybody has some nugget of advice that they can give. And to be fair, a lot of that could be valuable. But if you are unable to take it in because there's too much coming in at once, and it's mixed in with the people who say things that are horrible and useless, then it's difficult to to identify where you should put your attention and time. So I developed the structure of being able to identify all the people in your life and know that the people who are closest to you are the ones who can best act as sounding board. And then there's another layer and another layer and another layer of support that's available for us. It also helps to identify if you're a person who's struggling and just really doesn't have a great support system to be able to kind of say, okay, you know what? I need to find some people who are fish feeders. Like I need to develop some meaningful relationships so that I feel like I have some sounding boards available to me. And so it's built both to help you process some information that may be coming in already, as well as to develop a a really sustaining support system as you move through not only whatever grief experience you're having now, but any challenge that you may face in the future. And as we go through the priorities, as we look at the doors that are being open and find the ones who are uh, amazing resource and um, and you know sounding board for us. Then we open the possibilities of creating uh, what you call an unexpected life because you didn't <laughs> expect it. It's now an unexpected life, and now uh, it's like a canvas that we're throwing things at and kind of finding ourselves as who we are um, as a new person, as a new single person, and walking out um, into the world. Um, now some, some people have their jobs to go back to, and that's mm-hmm. just part of the consistency 
Some people have their children and it's their consistency. And some people don't. Um, if they were a homemaker and they were relying on their husband, suddenly uh, a whole new um, set of uh, circumstances open up, which they might have to really look at completely a different possibilities. So is it that they can go on with what it was and it, it's, it's an area of life that changes or pretty much every area of life changes mm -hmm. and they have to really look at this um, unexpected life that is there and to create the possibility. So share with us about that. The thing I love about the idea of an unexpected life, um, for, sh for sure, I'm an example of that. You know, when my husband died, I was a personal trainer. I thought that my life was going to be in physical fitness. I loved what I did. I loved my clients. I loved my business. Uh, and then in the aftermath of his death, I started following the path of creating you know, a community for widowed people. And as that community grew and grew and grew, it became clear I had to make a choice. Was I going to continue in the passion that I had before, or was I going to follow this developing passion? And so never in a million years would I have imagined myself, you know, at the head of an organization serving widowed people around the world. It was not something that was ever on my radar. I don't know. How do you even dream that thing? And so I think that's true for every person though. There's a million dreams out there that are yet to be discovered or realized that can just form this really, when you look back, say 10 years later and think, I never would have imagined myself here. The path to here is full of asking those questions about what matters to you and about giving yourself permission to follow the threads. And so my, in my case specifically, I didn't quit my job and just begin serving widowed people. I did both for quite a while. I kept asking myself the question, you know, what's, what's filling me? And the answer kept continually pointing to creating this space for widowed people and finding a way to make that my passion, my vocation. And so it was thread by thread. It was never, it wasn't just like one day I woke up and thought, okay, now I have a whole new life. It was the building of that life by following passions, by asking questions, by being willing to hear a different answer. If I had stubbornly stuck to what I knew and what was safe for me and what I was doing at the time, then I would have just lived a different life. It wouldn't be this life. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. So I, I say that because I don't want people to imagine that I'm suggesting the best thing to do is throw everything out the window and start again. What I'm saying is that in some ways, everything's already been thrown out the window. What I want you to do is look at what's left and decide what's best for you, this version of you, and allow yourself to explore that because you may come right back to where you were and discover that is what's best for you. And maybe like you said, that job you love is what kept you sane Hand, you know, managing the kids is what helps you figure out how to get out of bed for people who have a completely different life. You know, the possibilities can be exciting if we can separate it from the pain of how they came to us. And sometimes people struggle with that separation. But as I said, it's the permission that we have to give ourselves to be able to build that unexpected life and wake up one day realizing all the threads I pulled together have created this beautiful thing. And I'll, oftentimes I think people can be surprised by how beautiful the future can be, especially when it begins with a traumatic event that has wiped everything out and you can't imagine any beauty coming from these you know, bits of vase that are everywhere. Absolutely. One of the 
things that you said, which I think it resonated is sometimes when people uh, are talking about and share like, let go of the pain and they're like, well, I can't, there's no way of letting go of the pain because um, whenever you think about it is, is there. And like what you said at the be beginning was sometimes I think if I let go of the pain, I'm um, letting go of um, like betraying. Yeah not only the person, but also betraying who I was all of these years with my mate. Um, so you share about not necessarily having to let go, but actually making peace with it. Mm -hmm. So it's a different, it's here, it's not going anywhere, but how can I, uh, you know, uh, such as an illness, such as if I lost, lost a part of my body, mm -hmm. uh, I, every time I see it, I might see that it's not there, but I can come to, um, another way of being with it. I think that that's the beauty of, of integration, which is one of the key elements of the work of the book. And what I mean by integration is taking everything, every part of our life and allowing it a seat at our table. So if you imagine yourself as, you know, having a table of people who interact in your life, oftentimes we think bad things don't deserve a thing at the a place at the table. So I don't want my grief to have a seat at the table. But the truth is that our grief and the traumas through which we live always are part of us. And whether or not we give them a seat at the table, they're under the table then, or they're going to hop out of a closet when you're not looking. So allowing them a seat at the table means that what I have learned from my grief experience can be utilized in my life as I build it. And rather than ignore the coping techniques or the resilience that I've developed through the hard things I've lived through and pretend they don't exist. Cause if I'm putting them in the closet, that means the resilience goes too, and all the coping tools go too. I need those. So I need my grief to have a seat at the table. And that means that your person's never going to be fully gone. They're always going to be a part of who you are. They're a part of your life story. They're a part of building the person you are even this new version of yourself is influenced by who you were and what you knew. And in that way, we don't lose any version of ourselves. We just continue to evolve and include newer versions with each evolution. And, you know, the reality is that evolutions come not only with horrible things, but also with great things. And so we just don't talk about the way we evolve with great things because they're expected often and they're worked for like a graduation from college. You would never say to yourself like, oh, my, my college graduation was not a, or my college life was not something that was valuable. It shaped me. It helped me become who I am. But because that's valuable, it's considered valuable everywhere. We don't think of it as a transformative experience and yet it was. And so grief is similar in that it's a transformative experience that teaches us so much about ourselves, about the world around us, about our relationships. And so it needs a seat at our table in order for us to move through. And when we try to move it away, I think that's when we struggle with just what you were talking about, the inability to move forward often is tied to our inability to find a way to integrate what we've experienced into the life we're building. And you complete your book with um, ways of embracing the new you, um, allowing yourself, feeling that you deserve it, feeling mm -hmm. that, that the evolution has happened, feeling, knowing, knowing that uh, who you have become is part of all of this and then allowing yourself to soar. Um, with all of the experiences um, versus holding back or 
um, feeling that I don't deserve it. Or if I move on, then it means that I've lost my past and lost that person. Um, so there's a way of uh, shifting where it becomes deserving to embrace mm -hmm. and this new unexpected life that you're creating and the new, the new you that has kind of uh, opened up out of all of the suffering that has gotten created. Well, you used a powerful word, which was betrayal. And I think a lot of times we hold ourselves back from being joyful and proud of the person that we've become because it came from such a horrible place. And so we feel somehow that if this version of me, let's say it's better than the version of me before, then I feel like I'm betraying the life that I had by celebrating this. But what I want to tell people all the time is that the bad things already happened. Joy is optional. And being proud of yourself is optional. Owning who you can be, optional. And so, you know, we don't get a choice about the bad thing. It already happened. Nothing's going to change that. The only thing we have a choice going forward about is how are we going to allow ourselves to evolve? And when you've done the hard work, my hope is that people walk away and think I'm awesome. Like they close this book and they think I'm amazing because walking through hard things creates amazing people. And we don't always acknowledge it as a society. And we certainly don't always acknowledge it as individuals because it came from such a hard place, because it was so difficult to do. In my opinion, that makes it 10 times more worth celebrating and honoring the resilience you've built, the life you build for yourself, the opportunity to take this precious time we have on this earth, which we all know is, and especially people who are grieving know that we it's it's finite we don't know how long it's going to be but making the most of the time that we have um, is such a gift not only to ourselves but also potentially to the world at large and so um, my hope is that people can come through the steps that are laid out in different after you and that where they land is a sense of pride a sense of accomplishment and the ability to be joyful about owning who they've become Michelle, can you share also a little bit about the uh, Camp Widow and Soaring Spirits, which, uh, as you said, it was something that uh, became the new you and it uh, <laughs> came out of the ashes in, in oh. soaring um, a whole new space, not only for you, but what you have created for the widowed and the bereaved. When I was first widowed and looking for other widowed people, I accidentally created a community by asking a bunch of other widowed people, well, how did you do this? How did you do this? And I, and the thing that came to me at that time was that I didn't, I, I didn't ever feel more understood than when I was with another widowed person. They just got it. And I felt hopeful in a new way. And so I wanted the opportunity for other widowed people to have access to that feeling that came to me each time I met another widowed person, even if we had nothing else in common, even if our experiences of death were completely different. Maybe it was an expected death. Maybe it was a really long marriage. All of those things didn't matter. What mattered was they understood what it was like not to have their partner physically in their life. And so from that time, I started slowly building a nonprofit organization, um, which is called Soaring Spirits International. We've been serving for 14 years for widowed people. We offer research-based programming that is built around a peer support model. 
um, both online and in person since we were founded in 2009 or 2008, sorry, we were, um, we've served over 4 million widowed people. And that is an opportunity of coming together in community. That's what we offer consistently. Camp Widow is sort of the flagship event of that effort, which is a weekend long event. We actually have two versions, a weekend long and a pop-up, which is a one day camp um, that allows widowed people to come together in community, to have access to tools that will help them rebuild their lives, to have the interaction with other people who are also rebuilding their lives so that we can kind of shape what is normal. Um, and that's such a broad scope that it helps people realize, okay, I'm doing okay. Like, you know what, actually, I, I feel like this is something that I can do. That's that's our hope from people to walk away from Camp Widow feeling like, okay, I, I can figure this out. I'm going to find a way to build a life for myself. So those two um, parts of my unexpected life, you're absolutely right, grew into, they grew from me asking the questions consistently, not only of myself, but other widowed people. So Camp Widow is built around the answers to questions when we kept asking people, what do you need? What would you like? How could we better serve you? We asked that question repeatedly in order to continue to evolve the program in the same way we ask our people to evolve, to evolve into new versions of ourselves and new versions of the program that are going to best serve widowed people as they figure out how to build this life for themselves that they feel confident owning and then feel grateful to be living. That, that's our hope. Beautiful. Michelle Neff Hernandez, everyone, and go get the book, Different After You. Michelle, anything that we haven't touched upon that uh, you really, really want everybody to know? I just want to close by saying Different After You is a love letter to anyone who has experienced a traumatic life event or experience and that my hope is that it is not a book that you read just once but that anytime something you're struggling with you can go back and go oh yeah I want to look at that step again because that can help me in this new struggle so you know write on it pour coffee on it carry it around in your purse throw it under the mat in your car I hope that it gets to be carried with you into your life because it's it's truly is a love letter to anyone who's struggled to say I see you and I believe in you beautiful michelle neff hernandez everyone different after you go get that book thank you so much michelle for being uh, with me and having this conversation and um, letting me um, read the book and be a part of uh, this this conversation with you oh, such a joy thank you so much for all of you who are out there create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you and until next week bye-bye <music>